This is Aliens and Artists, part two of our conversation with Christina Engelhart. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Christina is a multimedia artist. For years, she and famed Italian director Federico Fellini experienced contact with non-human entities, which dramatically impacted their lives. She's about to share how, at the behest of these entities, she moved to Rome in order to be closer to Fellini, who the entities referred to as the Green One. So, while I had yet not moved to Rome in that early beginning, the beginning of 1983, because we, uh, excuse me, 85, because we met in 84, I met Federico in October of 84, of course, um, writing to him as he returned to Rome, and now we're 1985, and then they, I decided that I had to go to Rome. And the, vo- the voices had called and said, you know, you need to, you need to be with the green one. And I had just come from a trip and I wasn't working because how do you really have a normal functioning life when you're running around following these commands? So I said, well, and just I hung up the phone with them. And then I just kind of talked to the ceiling. I said, well, how do you think I'm going to get the money to pay for this? And no sooner did I say that was there, a, my door buzzer rang. And I opened the door and there was nobody there. And there's a shoebox with the exact money that I needed for a round trip ticket. So I was like, oh, how did this happen? And I had, a, I was in a gated, you'd have to jump over the gate. And the gate was a 12 foot high gate with spikes on the top. So I couldn't imagine anyone climbing over it. And, it, and within a moment, of me saying that one thing, there's a box, $1,200, fives, tens, twenties, just counted it all out. So, okay, I'm supposed to go. Dude, if you ask me how the hell, I don't know. Was I losing my mind? I became more and more susceptible that they could render, like I said, that guy at the airport with the piece of fabric in the envelope. Um, so I felt like they could render it. So a friend of mine was staying with me because they were going to take me to the airport in the morning for this trip, now that I had the money with the shoebox. And in the morning, my friend says, who are you talking to on the phone last night? I wasn't talking to anyone. I'm a very light sleeper. I wasn't talking to anyone. He goes, oh, no, no, no. You got the phone rang. You were walking around. You said these crazy things. And you said the flight number. So he said things that only I knew. So to this day, I had no memory. So I said, oh, they are um, able to get into my head and make me not like do things physically that I had no memory of. So that was a sign that of what that guy in the airport went through because that was one symbol. And then another time I'm sleeping in my apartment before I make this move to Rome. I'm by myself, I'm in my bed and I'm sleeping and I awoken. Now I'm fully awake, I'm not sleeping and I try to get up from bed and I couldn't move. I was like stiff. I couldn't open my eyes, couldn't do anything. And I'm, I'm like, now I'm panicking because I'm like, oh my God, I'm like frozen in my body. I'm fully awake, I'm panicking. And I felt things pushing on me. I felt hands of some kind of energy just pushing down on me. And I was scared the hoots. And it reminded me when I was a young girl in my 12, 13, 14 years old, that every so often um, I felt that spirits would visit me because I'd be in bed and I'd feel like a paranormal experience that I was immobile or I'd hide under the covers and I felt something pushing down on me and there was nobody in the room. So I had a few of those moments and here was another one, but this one, I couldn't move. And I was trying to open my eyes to see, I wanted to see them. I was like turning, trying to, to, to move. And, and then as soon as they left, I was trying to turn so much, I literally fell out of the bed. I was terrified. I was like, oh, wow. So they are letting me know they can touch me. They can get in my mind. They can call me. They can make things move. They, so I'm now like, I'm not going to mess with these guys. When they say do something, I'm going to do it. Federico fell down the stairs, hurt his ankle exactly the time I called. So, all right. 
Now they call, now that I have this money, and they call again and they say, they gave me a date and they said, you are to go stand at midnight in front of Cafe Greco and wait for your next command and hung up. Cafe Greco, Cafe Greco. The only Cafe Greco is in Rome. So here I'm in LA and I said, oh, I got the money, shoebox money. I got, uh, I guess I have to go to Rome and on this date be there. And, and I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, so again, tell nobody I go to Rome. I was making seven trips. By the time I physically moved there, I made seven trips before I actually, I have to stay there because this back and forth was exhausting and yet it was an adventure. So I fly to Rome, I stay, and this is at another little quaint hotel. I, at midnight, I walk to Cafe Greco. Now in Rome, all the shutters can snap and they, they're like panels. They're not fixed um, shutters, they can lock them. So I'm now walking through the center of Rome and all the buildings are closed. It's a ghost town. And I'm walking there. I felt like, oh, my God, I look like a hooker, you know, walking the streets at night <laughs> with nobody. So I stand in front of Cafe Greco. And I think maybe they're going to send a spaceship and come and get me. I had no idea what to think because there was nobody. It was midnight. Everything was like a ghost town. So I kind of pushed myself back into the door crevice of this hotel not to be seen. I didn't know what to you know, I just felt like trouble could happen. So as I'm sitting there and I look at my watch, now it's exactly midnight. I look up the street, I look down the street, and all of a sudden, exactly midnight, I see someone turn the corner and is moving in my direction. And as I see this person moving in my direction, their head is down, their hands in their pocket, and they're just walking. I'm like, I wonder who this person is. And as they get a little closer, I recognize it's the blue one, Sandrea. So when he gets in, I'm waving. I go, Andrea. And he walks over to me. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, the voice has told me to be here. I guess I'm supposed to talk with you. Oh, I don't believe you. I don't, because he was always the doubting Thomas. He, he always thought I was behind this. I said, no, no, no. Look, I'm here. Look. I said, so you must have gotten a call to meet me here. He goes, no. I forgot where I parked my car. I've been walking up and down the streets and I'm having a little fling with this girl and my girl, other girl, girlfriend doesn't know. And, and I came to, he was b beyond belief that how could the voices have almost rendered him like combing the streets to meet at that moment. So that was a phenomenon. I said, well then walk back to my hotel and stay here for the night, it's midnight and let's talk about this. So we'd go to my room and we'd talk and I, always was trying to give my interpretation. And then he went to use the, the bathroom. And while he was in the bathroom, taking a shower, I guess, the phone rang and it was them. And they said, you're talking too much. Simplify. Don't be so complicated. He, does, he doesn't understand when you get complicated. So I'm like, oh, I guess they're hearing me talking. So he come out of the bathroom. I said, well, they just called. No, they didn't. You're making this up. Because he was... Oh. So I tried, so he stayed the extra day because I begged him. I said, this is too canny that I'm here, you're here. You know, please just stay here and let's just, we, we, he said, all right, I'll leave tomorrow afternoon. So we, he stayed uh, in the room with me because we already back, if we go back in time, back to Los Angeles in that original trip, um, you'll remember that while the days that we had to make the music and the instruments, there was a point where, the voices were asking me to sleep first with Federico. And then while I'm sleeping next to him, they called and they said, no, 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 we now want you to go over to the blue. And I thought, oh, but nothing happened with Federico. They told me never to have sex with him, but to be as close as possible, which to him was, you know, he couldn't believe it because he's a known Lothario and here he's got an attractive woman and he's told you, she can sleep with her, but you can't touch her. Very Gandhi-like. Um, but I could sleep with his, uh, with the other guy. And so I just followed instructions and Andrea, he always resented that, um, because he, he, I don't think he ever liked me, but you know, somehow we, we were drawn into the situation. So of course, when we're now jump months ahead, when I were in Rome with this whole thing with the street corner and Cafe Greco, 
he's thinking I'm behind this and he's arguing with me. And of course I was getting, trying to use all my esoteric verbiage, getting complicated only to be told, keep it simple. He leaves the next day. Um, and now I'm in Rome. And so of course I go to meet Federico and he was very happy. And that's when I really, you know, that was again, seven trips before I actually moved there. I was going like once a month back and forth to, um, to be until I really realized that I have to completely be there. And of course, Federico, when I was on, I'd meet him on the sets, he introduced me to his first assistant, his first AD, which then I fell in love with. So I had a relationship and eventually married who, um, Andre, um, Eugenio, hearing all this story, knowing Andre everything, he he couldn't figure out, and he was very upset that I was running over constantly to Federico's office and constantly meeting Federico in private. And he would say, "You know, you're cheating on me. You're having this affair with him." I said, "No, no, I promise you, we are not physical. We can't be physical." Oh, he didn't believe it, but oh, the fights we had over that. Um, and so I'm just giving you, you know, sort of like leading up to. Um, so we have, uh, the, the hotel thing, the, the, the meeting on the street corner, the, the hotel with the switchboard, just constant things are in that time period. And one thing that Federico absolutely loved, and which is what I did pretty much on a daily basis, we would get together. He loved that I did I Ching, tarot, numerology. So while he was working on Ginger and Fred, he would, you know, explain to me he's doing this movie without a script. And he says, you know, I don't know what to do tomorrow for the film, you know, so throw the cards. What should I do? So half of the movie was all done through my tarot reading, what, which I thought was, you know, very impressive that he allowed me to use my metaphysical energy uh, or learnings to, uh, in, you know, give my two cents for his films. And then that became from the next three movies. He did Ginger and Fred, La Intervista, La Voce della Luna. The three other movies afterwards, always, Christina, what the cards say? What do the cards say? Throw some eaching. So that was like what really bonded us is that we had that metaphysical practice and always, what are these voices? What are these voices? And, you know, and I would always come in from my human tools, which is what I read in my past, believing in reincarnation and so forth. So I'm in Rome. I receive a call from them. Again, all the many calls. And they said, I'm allowed to ask a question. So mind you, I've only, every time they called, I would just listen. I really never said anything. They would, I would say it in my mind and they would answer me but I never verbally said anything. It was all mind to mind connection. But here was a time they asked, um, they said, you can ask a question. So I, I was like, oh my God, what do I think about uh, Jesus Christ? Uh, and then it just blurted out, blurted out, is there such thing as reincarnation? I figured let's hear it from these guys. And they said, absolutely. You reincarnate many times, you're an energy being, in fact, you are one of us and you've reincarnated on this earth to work with us. So, and we will always be connected. So I was like, okay, so what does that mean? So for some reason, whatever essence or energy that I reincarnated at one point of my existence or some essence, I was from wherever they are from in this dimensional world. And this to me was fascinating because it, was, I was like, you know what, that makes sense. I mean, I do believe in that before we entered a body, we're a spirit being that neither lives nor dies, that it chooses to come in or can choose to come into a body. Apparently, I was chosen to come into a body to reincarnate many times. They said I lived hundreds of times and um, I will always be connected to them. So when they finally, when our communication telephone calls stopped, I would still feel their presence. I would um, see blotches of color just in a corner of a room. So I would see, 
And I always thought that was them. And it would either be pink or green. And in fact, last night before knowing that I would make this uh, phone conversation with you, Zoom call, um, in the middle of the night, I woke up and every the whole room glowed in green. So I said, oh, boy, that hasn't happened in a while. So I'm going to take it as a sign that the green one will be Federico, sort of an energetic spirit green came through very strong. I kept blinking my eyes and walking and, you know, and I, it was so strong. It was so strong, like a green glow in the room. Wow. Um, so that happened last night, but I, that is what I received on a regular basis. So that um, I, I can't tell you if it's disturbed, disturbed me, but from where I am, and where I've learned in my own physical practice, yes, I, I do believe that I've that we most of us come from something. Our energetic being, our essence, is on a spirit level. You know, I I will have people who will say to me, Christina, you know, this reincarnation is all hooey fooey. You know, I don't know why you believe in this, and they don't even know. I don't even tell half the people what I've gone through. They'll just hear me talk about it. And, I'll, and my only defense is I'll say, well, there's really two ways to reincarnate. There's the obvious one is genetically, biologically. And I would say to people of science, I'd say, well, are you not all the, because the word to reincarnate means to return to flesh. So within each one of us is our ancestors, the DNA of our ancestors. Obviously we can do 23andMe in the chromosome testing. We can even see if we have some, you know, Neanderthal in us and our, where we've come genetically through different parts of the globe. So I've always, you know, believed that parts of our ancestors, that hidden DNA, remember we're only tapping into a very small portion of it. There's so many unlocked things, but everything within each one of us are fragments genetic codes from our ancestors. So that is one way to reincarnate. So each one of us is a combination of all our ancestors that have, you know, mutated with your mother and father, each generation bringing new fresh DNA to combine to you, but you're actually carrying within each one's DNA, your mother and father's ancestries on both sides down to the original humans or the, you know, of what original man was. So that's one way to reincarnate. That's to me the obvious one. That's the biological one. That to me, I can dispute anyone who doesn't believe in reincarnation by using that terminology. And then there's the one that I believe that has to do with soul vibration, that a soul can actually um, lift itself up from a, um, their ancestral and rise above. And so what I mean by is, if your great great grandfather was a shoemaker and then your father was a shoemaker and then you are either into shoes or not or whatever the lineage is for your DNA, for your spirit to have come from a whole different area. Like, because remember, I do believe in parallel selves that they're, that we're not just one entity of our DNA, that we're also a soul collection. Um, you know, we started this planet with, you know, a few hundred people and here we are a few billion people. So I do believe that there's, there's that kind of reincarnation on a soul level of, you know, and, and the people and the, the, the Jesus Christ and the Mahatma Gandhi's, the people who have raised their vibration so high that they can actually either choose to stay in this realm or transfer and transpose to another realm or to go to a whole different, go outside their DNA and influence the spirit or the body of such because that's the magic of spirit. And if you think of, you know, whatever religion has taught us, the life ever lasting, um, you know, any in, any esoteric information we get that is kind of comes to us, you know, why some people have musical talents and some people have scientific, you know, there's, you know, someone will say, well, I never had someone play piano in my lineage, but I took to piano as if I had played piano before, for example. So I'm open to all of those things. Those things have, you know, in my still quest of what can be even here we are speaking today and, and asking questions and remembering, reminding ourselves, you know, to me and the audience that you have, 
the audience that I would believe that would listen to this, first of all, are fascinated by what could be alien, what is, and that's such a, it's not the best terminology, but that's what we've, re, you know, we've uh, referred to it because alien is anything non, not born on this planet, supposedly, or non, you know, some other dimension. So, you know, and then we have the artists, you know, so for someone like myself, I consider myself artistic, paint, write, poetry, metaphysical arts. So I believe that spirit actually is very attracted to that. Music is a vibration. Music, I think, in and itself, sound, is also a dimension in its own right, just like light, just like time. So I think the voices, you, were trying to let us know that color, sound, of the frequency of that, and the combination of that. I mean, I, afterwards, when I came back finally from Rome and I was back in America, I went to a museum and the artist was doing um, musical notes and colors. And he had painted uh, an opera all by colors. It was fabulous. It was such a beautiful painting in its own right. And I thought, oh, I'm meant to see this because this is an ideal, an identity. And I believe that's what gets into an artist's heads. When he, he feels color, when he feels sound, when he feels vibration, he's tapping into something. If you want to call it esoteric, I, I don't like to use the word alien because alien um, makes you think of something from another planet with oblong uh, heads and ears and eyes and such, so forth. And, I, and that's available and possible as well. To believe in. When um, I was in Rome, in um, and I told you that dream that not the dream in that trying to waking time when I was awake and yet I feel I felt being touched and pushed on, and um, and my whole body was it felt like twenty people were pushing down on me and all every part of my body it was terrifying. When I was in Rome, that happened again there too, and and another time I was in sleeping and I woke. And I was in that that frozen place. I didn't, I couldn't open my eyes, but I could see in my mind. And here is where they first appeared to me, what they you looked like. So um, this was pretty scary because up until then it was just this colorful cloud or objects moving or the telephone call. But in this one time. Um, I do believe they woke me and they wanted me to see them. And I was in Rome, laying in my bed, very awake. I couldn't move. My eyes were closed. And yet I could see four tall faces looking down. And their faces were shape-shifting. They had, if you look at an oil spot on the street, you know, it kind of goes pink and purple and blues. And it shifts colors like mercury does. And um, like an oil spool, that mixing of colors. That's what their faces were. So it wasn't a solid face. It was a morphetic shifting face, but they had big eyes. And the big eyes looked at me and I felt they looked right into me. Very much like Whitney Schreiber's big eyes on the communion book. And by the way, when I first saw that book cover, because those eyes were what I had seen and I bought that book and I read it, the dates that Whitney Schreiber was given of his visitation were the same dates that I was being visited on in those 1984, 1985 dates. So I thought one day I got to meet Whitney and I, to this day I would love to meet him because I thought there's some collective consciousness going on there from what he was dealing with. And I thought that's too ironic that the same dates, he was very specific and wrote dates down in his book communion. And those are the same dates that I was visited. So. 1984, after the harmonic conversion, or in part of that, maybe that was when we had an opening where a lot of energy came into our planet, um, kind of then chose the people that it needed to utilize to make this communication with. So that's another thought. But back to this, the four of them looking down at me, I could feel when they looked at me with those eyes, 
didn't see their mouths move. They had almost like zero mouths, a tiny, I, I, it was the tiniest, smallest mouth they could, but they're shape-shifting. And I was so scared because this was now, they let me see them. And now, of course, when then they made everything dark again and stepped away and I sat up from this, I was shaking so much. I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad. They, I don't want to see them again because it was very scary. And yet I had to be used to this. And then I remembered this was the faces that I painted back in high school in the art classes. This, this shape-shifting, multi kind of face. So I realized, oh, they said they know me. They've, I've had this, this kind of a face show up to me before in my artwork. So I said, hmm. And I've always believed I was being watched since a child that I had, since I started doing metaphysical work, I always felt like something was watching me. I didn't think alien. I was always hoping angelic, but you know, what are angels? What are uh, entities? So that was sort of a comprised area of seeing them, hearing them. Of course, the phone, walking by any phone, I'd pick up. I always knew. I could walk down the street in New York City. The phone rang. If I was right in front of it, I'd pick it up. It was them. And they always say, we're watching you. We, we you know, you know, and which didn't help. I was terrified by that. <laughs> but I, you know, I had, to, I had to not lose my mind. And by the way, I thought to myself, you know, most people have a tenth of this esoteric uh, connection and they lose their minds. They go bananas. And I thought, yeah, I'm pretty, I didn't, I, and I think maybe that's why they also picked me that I wouldn't lose my mind. Now, back to when I ran into Andrea De Carlo in front of Cafe Roma, they had called me two weeks before. So they, that was a moment that I knew that they are outside of time because they would tell me something and then it would happen in that date that they, and this was not just Cafe Roma, it was other, other opportunities. They would call me and say, do this at this time on this date. And then what happened would be, so it was as if they knew it would happen days, weeks, or months before. So I always thought, since they said they were always going to, that I'm part of them, on whatever degree, I always thought, well, one day I'm going to have to write a book. Well, one day I'm going to have to talk about this on podcasts. One day I'm going to have to, you know, maybe do a film, whatever. I, I, and I didn't never, I never felt at that time, or Federico, that they laid out the rule. You, we have to do this for this reason. They were hinting with the music and the sound and the lights and the artistry. And, and they wanted a film. That was why they reached out to Federico. They wanted some kind of an explanation. But I think that there, where they're from and where we are from, the differences of how we operate in our highly emotional, highly confused, narcissistic world and all the things that we go through, that you know, we are sometimes unable to really hear what's being told to us. And, um, and of course, people use religion as a great explanation, and I'm all for you know, faith and belief in spirituality. Um, religion is like sort of history of mankind incorporating God. And I very much do believe in God and in Jesus and, you know, great spiritual people come to this world to do great good. And also there are plenty of people come to do great harm. Um, I never felt that you, the voices, were out to hurt us but they did not relate to us humans in the, in the same physical way. I do believe that music, art, sound, colors was how they got into our minds. And the more artistic, the more esoteric, the more uh, open you were, was an easier way to approach than someone who was a naysayer and didn't believe it. And even if you had phenomena happen. Oh, that was just a coincidence. So, you know, you, you have that. And, and to your audience that are listening right now, you know, um, you know, everyone says, well, what did you learn out of it? What did you get out of it? I am still getting it. I believe that they showed me that time is, they can operate outside of it. So part of that timing is still unfolding now because I'm still learning things. 
I'm learning more each day. And the more the world finds people like ourselves who are open to communicate the possibilities and have our own, like you probably have um, visitation or unusual things that have happened in your life that keep you open. But I will say this, that the part of the mind, the hypothalamus, the part of the mind that lights up, you know, I love it. I once watched a video where they were doing brain surgery and they had a, on a thin as a fiber, a camera go into the person's mind. It was the first time I saw this and how the, it looked like a, a cloudy, dark sky with lightning bolts flashing. And I was like, what that's going inside our brains, these, these flashes of energy and light. And I'm like, also, oh, every time you have a bright idea or a synapsis of some kind, it flashes. And I was so fascinated by the human mind. And then I realized, oh, well, that's what halos are on these great saints, that their mind lights up so much that there's a drawing of a halo, that the mind, when it's in its most cosmic you know, realm of the whole mind synapsis is that you can actually see and hear and feel and communicate with something as the great saints did when you see halos on things. So I always thought, oh, that's what that means. And I also thought that my name, my name is Christina Engelhardt, which is, if you break it up, Christ in an angel's heart. And I did that once doodling and I thought, oh, so this angelic, this, the heart that I have, which also has the word art. So I have art, heart, angel, and I thought, okay, this is, this name, I didn't pick it. This was given to me. And there's always little reminders that stay connected. Stay connected, What, which we're, we're doing right now. We're connecting right now of trying to see what this means. Why did this happen? Um, and I think the day that if this ever turns into a film, the book, there'll be more messages coming. Because I think the day that that happens, the director who's actually doing the film will receive information, will receive a psychic phenomena in their own right. Because I think that when you are tapping into this dimensional communication, I think that in the moment that we're just open to understanding it, we're actually making a connection without anyone having to get into our minds or make a phone call or such. And of course, people have said, well, do they still call you? No, they're not using the telephone anymore. And boy, it would be the easiest thing to do because now cell phone, internet, who knows, maybe all these uh, 5G is knocking the spirits out. I don't know. Because, you know, 5G is very powerful now. There's so much frequency going on from all our technology and wireless stuff. I have no idea if this is helping or hindering um, contact. But I am not receiving the phone calls as of this day. But these rare glimpse of these cloud colors do appear. And my own readings, I still have a large clientele of people I do psychic readings for. My readings are sometimes, I mean, I don't even know where I get this information from, but it is, I'm astounding to those I read for. So I think that I have to keep doing that, that that's part of my mission is to communicate something. And it's not necessarily I need to communicate with the afterlife. There are people I'm sure that can do it, but for me, it's something, it's a different frequency and I'm here to help. So I'm here to inspire, I'm here to help, I'm here to be an artist, I'm here to find ways to use words in our limited diction of words that can impress people that we are involved with the, the unknown. So, and um, also um, one of the last times that um, I was received a call and mind you, the whole time I was living in Rome and I was married to Eugenio, he was like, why aren't they calling me? I know, I know Andrea, I know Federico, I know Maurizio, I know every, I know Tulio, I know everybody, but I'm not getting the call. And he so wanted to believe this. And he thought I was just, crazy and that didn't help the marriage but it was our wedding day and he was just off to go and get ready at his parents home I was getting ready at our home and I was in the bath and um, it was 8 8 88 
it was eight in the morning and we were going to have our wedding at 1800 hour and the phone rings and he comes running into the bathroom. He said, they called, they called. I finally got a call. Oh my God, they knew my name. They said my name. And they said, I felt that what you talked about. I felt it. And they said, and they spoke in Italian to me. With me, they spoke English with whomever, whatever language you, you spoke, that's what they spoke to you. And he said that we cannot come to your wedding. Siamo i marziani. That means we are Martians because in, in the Italian language, there is no word for alien. This American word alien is now what they say alien. But then the word for alien was Martians. And so he said, we are i marziani. Just look at the sky at 10.22 and we will send you a signal. So he tells me this. So I said, great, 10.22. But, you know, in, in Rome, they use military time. So that would be 22.22. So if you add 22.22, So I'm like, oh, man, they got with the eights. So it was very interesting that eight in the morning, 1800 hours, 22.22. So now here we are. We leave the wedding party. We go up to the roof of where we had our wedding and we look up at the sky. You know, it's a night sky and I see an airplane, you know, like an airplane, but it was very high up, but yet the light was very strong, strong as a starlight. And it made a figure eight in the sky. And I said, that was them. He goes, no, that was just a plane. I go, when can a plane do a figure eight and follow that? I mean, I, he was like, no, 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 that can't be them. That was them. To me, that was them. Um, and I took that as a great gift from them. And that was the last phone call on 8888888. And um, when I thought of it later on, that even the numbers they chose added up to eight. That was a very high vibrational evening. And that was very special to us. Um, Federico received a call afterwards, I think one or two more calls. And then when I re when he then there was a day when he said, I'm not going to make this movie. He did a graphic novel, Trip to Tulum. Uh, Andrea wrote a book called Yucatan. So if your followers, uh, listeners want to look up Andrea De Carlo's book, Yucatan, he gave his own perspective. He didn't want to use names. He, he had his own way of describing the story. I wanted to use, I didn't want to make it like a story. I wanted to give the facts of this and this and this and this and this happened. Federico used um, the graphic novel, which first came out on the front covers, six covers of the uh, Corriere della Sera, which is a very famous newspaper, the Corriere della Sera. So he did the front page of each giving a snippet of his encounters of the story, which then Milo Manara, fabulous graphic artist, did the drawings. And it was so well received, like a cult following, that they went and did um, Colto Mortese, which is another graphic um, novel series, and then finally making a book out of it called Trip to Tulum or Viaggio Tulum as it is in Italian, which is in many languages, unfortunately, out of circulation. I bought as many of the books as I can to give to Hollywood celebrities, um, from Donald DeLine to Marty Scorsese to um, Oliver Stone. I kept giving this book thinking if I give it to them, you know, I'll get, I'll get a movie. And they all said, thank you for the book. We love it. But this is a weird story. We, you know, and, and, and because it was done in a graphic novel, no one felt that it could be done as a graphic. It had to be done real life, even though the graphics were fabulous. And then I met with um, Haim Saban and I gave him the graphic novel. And he was the only one who wanted to option the rights to make this a, um, a cartoon, an adult cartoon. But um, Federico did not like the price that he offered, so he shut it down. So um, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I felt like, how do I resurrect this, this uh, graphic novel? And in its own way, there are several other artists, directors who are, who, who are fancying the idea of telling it, 
but um, they shouldn't circumvent me because I'm sort of like the nucleus of the story. So, you know, whoever tells the story, if it ever happens, I know that me writing the book was to give my interpretation because I was, I think the reason as the female of this group, the pink one, and what does the color pink mean? It's, it's love, it's harmony. Um, blue is mind color and Andrea was the mental one. Green is the heart chakra. Federico was the, the vibration of the heart. He had the heart in the project. You know, the yellow and the orange were, you know, also our mental colors. Um, so I felt that I was given the pink to be the one who would bring this together. And since the book that I wrote, telling the story in my own way, bringing everyone's name and everyone back into the story, I felt that I united this troop of colors trying to tell a story. And um, here we are today, 2021, and the story is still very fresh. I still feel like I'm living it. Um, I don't, I'm not too excited to hear from them anymore because I, I don't need to be, I, I had enough phenomena. I think I, just seeing the, that color cloud last night, that was already, I was like, okay, don't, you don't have to get too friendly. You can stay over where you <laughs> Help me on another realm, help me to make connections. And, and here we are, here we are speaking, here's a connection. So um, I'm open to that and I've reached out a few times and, you know, there will be people who totally think I'm wacky and um, actually I have a very stable job and I'm a very stable person, surprisingly so, because there were times that I thought no one's going to understand or believe me. And luckily, you know, that's, let's call that my artistic esoteric side, but there's no doubt that my life will continue working with people on the esoteric level, working as an artist, working with dimensions, and uh, hopefully inspiring people to believe in something other than the three-dimensional realm, to believe in something. And also, I get to hear other great stories of other people who've had their own connection. So I didn't have a spaceship, um, but I had levitation. I saw myself outside of the stratosphere looking down at earth. I saw them, I felt a, a different vibration. And, and to those people who have been on board, I don't doubt it. I do believe that there's a multitude of energies and entities that come into this planet. Uh, mine are just this dimensional creature. I'm sure there are other people who have physical creatures. I have some friends that have photographs of you know, phenomenal uh, spaceships that I know that they didn't forge because, you know, they didn't need to. Um, so I do believe that just like here we are in, in our own, you know, realm of consciousness, we have different politics, we have different beliefs, we have different things. And to some people, they are as real as, um, is the chair we sit on. And so I don't doubt what other people say or believe. I just know that from where I have come from, what I've experienced, I know it's a tool to tap into the artistry of things. So that's why I like so much that your program is called Aliens and Artists. I do really think that the artistic side is that part of the brain, the hypothalamus, wherever that creativity, that, that synapses of the major light that glows up in our mind, that lights up that makes the body do things or the mind see things or inspire things or interconnect to whatever energies out there. That fascinates me. That I think is still something to be discovered that uh, maybe a Jung has tried, uh, Carl Jung or certain people have used through hypnosis. You know, there's some wonderful people who've really tapped into, which by the way, I'm a huge fan of um, Carl Jung and Rudolf Steiner, you know, the, the great philosophers who've, you know, used and know and deciphered anthroposophia, which is sort of the light energy of the things that, that are the essence of things, almost like a molecular structure, the very light energy of it, that is the stage before the material. You know, they say that before the, the physical, there is the, the thought, and that thought, see, that's where uh, um, 
you can call it mind or brain, but I think that's where, for me, all creativity stems from. Be sure to catch part three of our conversation with Christina Engelhart. For more information, check the show notes. January 25th, 1967, South Ashburnham, Massachusetts. Betty Andresen and her seven children and Betty's two visiting parents witnessed multiple non-human entities outside their home. They did nothing about it. The next day, Betty had the odd sense that something else had occurred beyond the sighting of the entities. Over time, through hypnosis, she and her husband would recall abductions, contacts, and sightings that involved highly advanced beings that gave Betty messages about the fate of mankind, and also conducted procedures on her and her husband. A Christian, Betty interpreted the events through her religious worldview. Her case was a launching point of sorts for the abduction phenomenon obtaining a more public profile and beginning to register in the general population. What remains of the more remarkable aspects of her repeated encounters is the elaborate artwork she created depicting her experiences. While it's common for experiencers to attempt renderings of contact and abduction, Betty's art is particularly detailed and abundant. Many of these images are now standard, including saucer-shaped craft, gray aliens, hybrid fetuses gestating in liquid. But some events she illustrated are truly bizarre, such as the Museum of Time she reported being shown aboard the craft in which human beings from innumerable different epochs and cultures were preserved in clear cylindrical containers. Also, a circle of humanoid spiritual elders chanting around a globe of light. There were also schematic drawings of the alien technology aboard the craft, an enormous clamshell-like device the entities used to transport her, and a great bird which stood 15 feet tall and shielded Betty's eyes from a blinding light beyond. For a link to the seminal book, The Andresen Affair by Raymond Fowler, which contains Betty's artwork, check the show notes. Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse, offering one-on-one work with me, Stuart Davis. Sessions focus on creativity, spirituality, and transpersonal hypnosis. Go to theliminalmuse.com to book a session, or check the show notes. Hey, thank you for your emails, your detailed emails, such as the one from a listener last week, pointing out that in my Patreon pitch, when I remarked that patrons should move the decimal point several positions to the left, I was actually diminishing the amount of your pledges, not increasing them. Well, Mr. Smartbrain. Let me tell you something about aesthetic mathematics, or as it's not known, aesthematics. In aesthematics, decimal points are like nomadic periods. They careen among numbers in a swooning reverie, enwrapped in the beauty of diminishing integers. The vanishing is ravishing. Ask any asthmat, 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 asthmathematician. Less is more, until it isn't, because when there's nothing left, there's room for everything. So become a patron, or don't. Beauty prospers regardless. Rush the vein 